It's the hunting, right? It's the hunting, I think, that makes this particular shooting so brutal that he went so far and targeted Black Americans specifically. Again, it's just the hunting. That, to me, is what feels just like everything sort of is breaking apart. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. If you follow us on Instagram or if you are a supporter on Patreon, we gave you a little homework to prepare for this episode. And now we're going to be the teacher that says that homework still counts, but you don't have to turn it in today (laughs) because Sarah and all five members of the Holland household have Mm. COVID. And so So we're going to change up our plans a little bit because we're going to need Sarah here fully present for that sexual Mm. ethics discussion that we were planning. So instead, today, we are going to begin, of course, by talking about a very violent weekend in the United States and particularly the horrific shooting in a Buffalo, New York supermarket. And then in the main segment, we're going to share a conversation with Becca Kello. She is a minister in Western Kentucky. One of the promises that we made to you when Western Kentucky was ravaged by tornadoes was that we were going to stick with that story and talk about how long it takes to recover from a tragedy that impacts a community. And that felt especially poignant today. So we're going to share that conversation with Becca in the main segment. And then outside of politics, Sarah's just going to tell you how much it sucks to have a house full of people with COVID. And I know many of you know that. So hopefully you'll feel at least a little bit less alone. If you were looking forward to listening to Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything, our new book in audiobook form, starting today you can. We are sorry that the audiobook trailed the paper version a little bit, but it is now here. It is out. We narrated it together. It was a very special experience. We shared with you yesterday in the feed, chapter one, and I promise you that it gets better uh, as you go along. The whole book is very special to us, and it was really cool to get to read it together. So we hope that you'll pick up a copy and take a listen to it. Next up, we will talk about the terrible shooting in Buffalo over the weekend. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Sarah, it is always a disjointed feeling for me when I have personally had a really fun weekend mm-hmm. and then I see breaking news alerts coming up that just make me realize how uh, precious and unique and not guaranteed those really fun moments in my own life are. And that's certainly how I felt when I saw that 13 people had been shot in a Buffalo supermarket, that 10 had died, that 11 of those people were black, too white, that the shooter was an 18-year-old boy who drove several hours, who released just a screed about replacement theory that had been in part copied and pasted from the Christchurch mm. shooting manifesto, layers and layers of heartbreak, that this supermarket is so important to this community because it's been a food desert mm. resulting from just decades of suffering the consequences of segregation. You know, I I don't know how much sadder the situation could be, how much more failure could be represented here. It's the hunting, right? It's the hunting, I think, that makes this particular shooting so brutal that he went so far and targeted Black Americans specifically, that he live-streamed it, that he was, you know, espousing all these truly heinous racist acts and it's again it's just it's it's the hunting that to me is what feels so just like everything sort of is breaking apart you know like that that we're still experiencing not just mass shootings but these mass shootings that are targeted in such racist and dehumanizing and terrifying ways. 
haven't known really how to process the way that we are quickly having a discussion about replacement theory as the animating force for this shooter. Because on the one hand, I think it is a a proper attempt to establish accountability broadly. And I think there is broad accountability for this. I think he is responsible, but I think a lot of people are responsible. Mm -hmm. A lot of very high-profile people. And and I think quickly getting to what are you doing, Tucker Carlson? What are you doing, Elise Stefanik? What are you mm. doing, Matt Gates? I think that's appropriate. Yeah. And at the same time, I really want to just bottom line it and say, like, replacement theory is just a term for believing that you have more of a right to exist yeah. than anybody else. And that yeah. is unacceptable. Yeah. And I'm kind of tired of putting any sort of gloss on that. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Like, I was sort of reading the words replacement theory, and I just wanted to be like, so what if you get replaced? You don't have any right. That's right. Not to be replaced. In what part of human history do you see evidence? Even, you know, the Roman Empire, like the greatest, most long-lasting largest empire in human history and no longer exists. Like in what universe do you think in perpetuity should be behind any description, like any specific of description of a human group? Like I just, it's a historical, I think it's, again, it's dehumanizing because it's not that you, you're not comparing human groups. You think your group is human and the other ones aren't. That's really what's at the, bottom of that theory it's certainly what's underneath this heinous act right taking a life means that you don't you don't think they're a human being deserving of dignity and the right to exist i thought the exact same thing it's ahistorical and if some cabal were at work trying to reduce the number of white people in the world they're doing a real bad job (sighs) you know as we cross that million covid death statistic First of all, it was a virus, and so people of lots of races, ethnicities, religions, languages, cultures died. But secondly, we know that communities of color are hit hardest Mm. by public health emergencies, by environmental emergencies, by emergencies of socioeconomic status, by housing disparities. So again, like I think the spirit behind trying to talk about where these ideas are being spun up and disseminated and mainstreamed is really good. I think it is really important to sit with the fact that this replacement theory nonsense is being pumped out through something as mainstream as cable television. Like, this isn't the depths of the internet. Television sets a tone for everything else. And so if you can just find this on TV, imagine what you find once you chase it down the internet's rabbit holes. And I think it's important to talk about that. And I just don't know exactly how to talk about that without also saying, like, think about what people mean when they use these words. Of course, an 18-year-old who Mm -hmm. pursued this path believed he was being called to enlist and do what needed to be done. And, And it just, it is heartbreaking and it is wrong and it is gross. And I do want conversations today in newsrooms about who gets on 
and who gets platformed and what are we even doing? And that's not about free speech. That is about editorial decision making like that. I, I just don't I don't know how you sleep at night if you are allowing this kind of talking point to be distributed relentlessly. Well, and I just think every time something like this happens, it stops being the rabbit hole of the Internet. Anytime mm-hmm. a violent act like Christchurch, I mean, he was quoting them. He was live streaming like them. Like, and this act is now just going to surface it even more because, unfortunately, I think that's what happens with these shootings. And, you know, I do think that figures, not just media figures, figures inside the Republican Party, leadership within the Republican Party that allows members to espouse these beliefs without censure, with to allow them to just exist inside the party, holding these types of beliefs, attending conferences where these beliefs are espoused, they hold a huge responsibility. I mean, because I think you're right, what we see, and I think about this all the time as a mother of young men, right? Like this is, there is a consistent pattern among shooters. And often it is that they are young men that feel called to violence by this rhetoric. And I think the rhetoric is a huge piece of the puzzle, but I think also asking, like, why? Why are they particularly vulnerable to this? And also, like, I don't, it's like, I don't even want, I don't want to describe somebody who took 11 lives as vulnerable, walking around with a big old handgun. Susceptible, maybe susceptible is what I mean. Because it is, it is so, I I don't even know the words anymore, like, It feels like we're screaming into the void. It feels like we're screaming into the void when it comes to gun violence in America. We're all heartbroken. We're all terrorized. It's so sad. And, you know, he'll probably get charged with a hate crime and maybe we'll beef up hate crime legislation. But the public health crisis that is the availability of these guns to people who are susceptible to these messages is going to continue. And that's, I think, what's so defeating about this entire conversation. Yeah, that willingness to beef up hate crime legislation is just reflective of how we are we are happy to punish, but we mm-hmm. are completely unwilling to prevent. Yeah. So this community lost pillars of the community. Mm. It, was the, it was the strawberry shortcake that got me. Oh, the lady that was coming to get strawberry. It was just something about that detail that I was like, I, I can't, I can't. They've lost Aaron Salter, a retired Buffalo police officer who's working as a security guard. Ruth Whitfield, 86 years old. The mother of a former Buffalo fire commissioner. Hurley Young, who was 77. She ran a food pantry for 25 years in the Central Park neighborhood. Catherine Massey, 72. She used to write for the Buffalo News. Deacon Hayward Patterson, 67 who helped drive people who needed transportation to the store. Celestine Cheney, who is 65. She has six grandchildren, one great-grandchild. She's a cancer survivor. Roberta Drury, who's 32. A friend described her as full of life, caring, and happy. Margus Morrison, 52. Andre McNeil, 53. Geraldine Talley, 62. And then two others, 20-year-old Zara Goodman and a 50-year-old who is, as of the time that we're recording, not identified, um, have also been injured. 
And those are all real people with lots of people who love them and depend on them and who are going to be forever changed because of this. The community will forever be changed. This grocery store, as we mentioned at the top, was in what was a food desert. So lots of people are going to have to go back to work in a place where this happened. Lots of people are going to have to continue to shop there. And we thought, given the tremendous ripple effects of a dire tragedy in the Buffalo community, that today might be an appropriate day to share uh, what it looks like several months out from tornadoes in Western Kentucky. And so in the next segment, we're going to share a conversation with Becca Kello about her work in a community that suffered a tragedy of a very different kind. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. 
and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. We are so happy to be here today with Becca Kello. She is an Episcopal priest in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which was also impacted tremendously during the tornadoes in December of 2021. And she is here to give us another update on the recovery efforts, what they look like in Bowling Green, what it's like to be both a helper in your community as a priest and an impacted person. So, Becca, welcome to Pansy Politics. Thanks so much for having me. So glad to be here. Can you orient us a little bit to your experience of this actual event before we get into the aftermath? What was the actual weather like for you? Yeah. So my um, power went off. My mom called me and um, the uh, my phone alarm went off all at the same time and woke me up on that night. It was about midnight. And my mom lives in Nashville and she stayed on the phone with me and was my weather radio as she had Leland Statham, who is the Nashville weather person I grew up with, um, telling about the tornado and what alley it was going down and things like that. I was trying to get my dogs out from under my bed, which is a very safe place, except it was right by a window. And as I was doing that, I heard the train sound. And if you're familiar with tornadoes, that's kind of the, the... If you have not taken shelter, that is the absolute last moment. My neighborhood was not um, severely damaged at all. Um, I was about a mile or two from just total destruction. And, um, you know, as, as I was in my closet with my dogs and my flashlight that, thank goodness, had some power but was not especially powerful, I was getting texts from my um, part of my role here at the church in Bowling Green is as campus minister to our college, Western Kentucky University. And so I started getting a text on our group thread from my college students, one of whom Mm. texted and said, I think we just got hit. And another one whose family lives in Princeton, whose whole house was destroyed. Um, And so these texts kind of started rolling in and um, started connecting with people um, people started checking in with me. Um, and then uh, you just tried to go back to sleep because there was nothing to do. The next day, um, gratefully, I, I did not have power at my house, but the church did. And so um, me and our other parish priest and our staff came to the church and we began calling parishioners to see who was alive. Gratefully, we did not lose any parishioners. We had, I would say, seven families that came inches from death, like literal inches, you know, roof crashing on the bed that they just got up from, Mm. grabbed their son as they ran down the stairs and the second floor came off. Um, uh, Lots of very traumatic things. And so for me, it was not as much personal damage or threat. It's more a, the, the sustained trauma of going through a natural disaster Um, And trying to process what that means, because I think we all have a sense of 
I grew up around tornadoes. I take them seriously, but I also am not afraid of them in the way that I would be afraid of earthquakes or something that I've never experienced, right? Like I know Mm. how to be safe, but uh, in preparation for this conversation, I watched some of the videos from the days after, and I was reminded by a person on on a video saying how much every time the wind blew, they sequenced um, in fear. And it's, it's not quite that strong, but you know, the tornado tomorrow is the fifth, um, fifth month mark from the tornado. And, um, it is not that strong now, but we've, we've had at least one other tornado, um, line come through. We had tornado warnings not too long ago. And it's just, it's just sort of a collective, everyone's on edge anytime storms come through. And so it's really changed, not just our the physical landscape of our community, but also the emotional well-being of our collective community. I think that that kind of sums up from then to now where I'm at. Well, how would you contrast those like first few days when you talk about the sort of the emotional well-being, the emotional reality of the community, those first couple days to now, five months out, what are the challenges? Where have people's attention shifted? What what have you noticed in your role? So I think that for me, one of the most disturbing and enigmatic days of what it means to be a community leader um, in the wake of a tornado is that I had a day that was both an entirely ordinary priest day and a day of natural disaster outreach. And I will never forget probably the most disturbing thing I think I've ever seen was I had just dropped off supplies at the elementary school that my neighborhood goes to that was functioning as a shelter. And a lot of the community neighborhoods that were most affected were refugees. And so you have people from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Bosnia, Burma, all together um, in this sort of mess of trauma. Um, And as I was leaving there and going to the hospital to sit with someone who had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer, I looked at a field. I looked at the field as I was driving and there was a search line. And Mm -hmm. I've only ever seen search lines in movies, but I immediately knew what it was. And, you know, they had dogs that were cadaver dogs and we are a few days out at this point. And so it's, they're not looking for people. They're looking for bodies. Mm. And that just was so emotionally gut-wrenching. And so I feel like in those days after everything just was at a level 10, there was no emotional flexibility. If you ran late for a Zoom meeting, it was it was not just a normal issue. It was this huge thing that was compounded by the reality. I think as we have walked these few months together as a community, you know, I think trauma forces us to see the humanity of everyone. You know, Bowling Green's a very uh, purple area and we're a very purple congregation. Um politically. And so you sort of have quite strong divisions in the community, but that didn't exist in the days after. And what I've really been very pleased with and quite 
touched by is how that that's still mostly true five months out. I am not on on this committee, but there is a committee uh, that is government workers, city, state, um, nonprofits, and religious organizations that work together. That's called a long-term recovery effort. And they meet every week and talk about where we are, where we've been, where we want to go. Um, and they try to pull together funds and resources to meet the needs of the people who tend to fall through the cracks. And um, on that, in that group, every neighborhood that had any significant damage has a neighbor representative. And so they can bring to that group, here's what we are dealing with. You know, for example, one woman has a single mother, um, was able to get a roof on her house pretty quickly, um, but just got windows about two weeks ago. And mm-hmm. so you have all of winter. And so gratefully, she had a roof over her head, but now her heating bills are exorbitant. Mm-hmm. And um, you have people who were renters who can only find, you know, we have a huge housing inequity crisis in our town. And that this tornado has really shown that. Mm-hmm. And people who were renting at, you know, $1,000 are only able to find $1,400 rents. And so providing subsidies for six months or a year to help them adjust their financial system. And so I think that that the emotional, the running at a level 10 has definitely calmed. And I think to a like very manageable degree, but you still just have moments of you know, I was driving in a ne- in a neighborhood that I don't particularly go in often that was hit. And the thing, the way the tornado hit the town is you either drive past tornado damage every day or you never do. <laughs> if, you, mm. if your path doesn't take you to specific, like the, the line of the tornado, you might never see the absolute devastation. And I drove past a business that I knew was destroyed but it's still just lying in rubble mm. and I forgot, you know? And so you have these moments of just reminders and I, a couple of blocks from where I live, there was a business that was just a pile of rubble for about three months. And once that rubble was finally moved, it was almost, uh, it caused the grief to be renewed. Like it's a good thing, right? Like mm. it's a good thing to not have a whole block of rubble, but it was just a reminder of, what once was is no longer. And that pile of rubble was a almost a monument to what we had been through. And so you've got these complex layers of grief and healing that are just very confusing on an individual level, much less a community level. That long recovery with extenuating circumstances, that it's not only that people have been displaced, but also that housing inventory is more expensive than it's been before. It's not only that we've uh, gotten through the physical damage, but we also have to attend to the emotional feels paralleled to me with about every crisis that the country has been through recently. And I want to ask you on a more spiritual level, how you are seeing the fallout of all of these things landing at one time. I can imagine that our audience is much like the Western Kentucky University campus that you minister to, where there are people of lots of Christian faiths, people of faiths outside of Christianity, people of no faith, but all have spiritual needs and all are trying to make sense of what we're doing here. 
And I just wonder what you've observed around that. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the great things that ministers of any faith have to say to the world right now is teaching people how to grieve. I don't think we have that collective skill in the way that we probably once had as as a as humanity um, in our society currently. So we at um, the month out from the tornado, our parish host, hosted an ecumenical service of lament and remembrance. And I, it was a moment where in which as the preacher, I was able to proclaim, you know, I centered my story around uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and how that is the miracle of that gospel story. But Jesus is not going to raise these buildings from the dead, but the good news, the hope of the resurrection, the hope comes from the fact that Jesus sat with Mary and Martha in their grief and in their pain and that we are not alone. And what I see collectively in our community, um, we do have a very wide range of uh, faith traditions in our community and you know, I think my strongest and closest example of this was I volunteered at the disaster center a few days after the tornado. Um, and that was essentially like a, a help as a sort of a resource. So FEMA was there, the city government was there, the state government was there helping people get connected. And then they also had a store that people could just go through and get whatever they wanted. And I was part of the interviewer as a, as a clergy person in the community to kind of help people if they needed to process a little bit before they did their shopping. And the third person who came in for me to sit with was a Bosnian refugee who spoke very little English. And um, in our community, we lost 17 people. Five of them were from the same family. And mm -hmm. this was the grandmother of that family. And she is sort of explaining this to me in this sort of broken English. And our city employees was just did just a great job at trying to facilitate this. Went and grabbed an iPad where we had an on-call, essentially FaceTime translator for whatever language we needed. And so through this translator, she tells me the story of how she was trying to go to Nashville, to Vanderbilt, to visit her daughter who was paralyzed from the neck down and how she was trying to arrange the funeral for her son and how she mm. held her grandchild with a shard. I mean, this is graphic, but with a shard of glass in its head as she mm. was trying to bring him back to life. And her refrain, her English refrain, and maybe I don't remember fully, but it feels like it was the only thing she said in English was, it's too much. It's too much. Mm. And I think that that is, you know, you have this Muslim woman from Bosnia coming and this Christian priest who is from, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky. And the embrace that we spent for three hours walking around and I would, you know, she would sort of grab something and she knew what it was. She would ask if it was the right size, the right age, because um, she was clearly caring for the whole family. And you know, she grabbed a meat item and she said, pork, <laughs> I said, no pork, no pork. Um, and so you have this very human moment of levity with like deep, deep pain. And as a Christian and as a Christian priest, 
I don't believe that the hope that I put all of my trust in is limited to anyone. And neither do I think that God's presence with us in our pain is limited. Mm. And I think that we as a community and the spiritual needs of the community is that there are lots of different narratives in, in the spiritual life of this community. Um, but I think what we're all grasping for is a space to grieve and a space to hope and, and truly a space to sort of, you know, one of my college students, he, who lost everything, he was a couple of feet away from being smashed by a tree. You know, he still will tell me I'm angry. <laughs> I'm angry that I lost everything. I don't have a place to live. And, you know, he was staying with his fiance's family and, and was safe, but you still have this like just righteous anger at this un, unfathomable pain and grief. And so I think that that's where our spiritual need is as a community. And I've seen it on the college campus. Um, I think it's pretty enigmatic of everyone is that two years of COVID life is just like smashing in on us <laughs> and none mm. of us really are allowing the fullness of it to hit. And I think in some ways the tornado has allowed our community on a larger level. And I think smaller like sub subspaces within that community, it's allowing us to say that's enough. Like mm. we, 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 we're, we're good. And so I think that that is, a real, I mean, you know, I, I am a silver linings person and my friends, my priest friends call me Pollyanna because they make fun of me for being so hopeful. But I think that that, that is a, a gift of this season of our communal life is that collectively we have been through something that has revealed both how terribly fragile we are uh, and our systems are and how you know, infinitely good compassion of others is as well. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. And you've given us a list of resources for anybody in our audience that we will include in the show notes who want to reach out and support this community. And thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Thank you, Rebecca, for spending time with us and for opening our heart and for showing you what it looks like for someone to have to be a helper when they, too, have been through something horrific. Next up, we're going to talk about Sarah's family and these positive COVID tests that so many of y'all are getting. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. All right, Sarah, when did you find out that everyone was infected? How'd it go down? Well, my mom called us Friday morning and said, I'm positive. We had not seen her in several days, but Nicholas felt kind of crummy. So he tested, and he was positive. And I said, okay, well, we're I'm going to test. I was negative. And I said, we're still going to go do our weekend plans with a friend of ours whose daughter was experiencing First Communion. Because you're going like, to have to set, just keep away from us anyway. And that probably the easiest way is just to get out of the house. So we all went. I'm mad at myself because I got there and, like, stayed up late and just sort of enjoyed time with my friend. And that was dumb because um, I think the staying up late is what opened a hole in my in my fortress, in my immunity fortress. Because I had just given blood on Monday and gotten the reactive positive antibodies result that I could give convalescent plasma from the Red Cross. So I thought, I'm popping over here. But it is just everywhere right now. There is an incredible surge. It's like it's like a silent surge or a secret surge, but it is everywhere. So Nicholas stayed home. He took Paxlovid and started to feel better pretty soon. 
And then we got back, and I felt bad on Sunday night. So we tested. I tested, and it still said negative. Now, I went in, like, after the 30-minute mark, and there was a faint line, but they tell you not to check, not to count after the 30-minute mark, you know? So then we brought Felix and Amos in because their noses had started running. Felix lit up like a Christmas tree, like, immediately positive. Amos was positive. Griffin was still negative. But then in the middle of the night last night, I woke up at 2 a.m. just like shivering under all my blankets. And I thought, oh, no, I have I definitely have it. So I woke up this morning, took another test. Positive. We gave Griffin another test. Whose 13th birthday is today? It's so sad. He was positive. So five for five, we are out here having the COVID. So that's going to, and it's, you know, it's our last, next to last week of school, like the last full week of school, which is so brutal as somebody here works from home. <laughs> To know that I'm, like, missing this last full week of school before summer starts. But it is what it is. And it is just everywhere. I got so many messages. We're here with you. We're with you. Oh, we just found our positive test. We just found our positive test. Um, it just feels like it's seriously everywhere. I don't know if it was maybe because it was hot and everybody went inside. It was, like, 90 degrees. But it's popping right now for sure. How are the kids feeling? They're fine. I mean, they've got runny noses. It doesn't seem to be affecting Felix's blood sugars yet, which is good because um, it's really scary for his first illness since he's been diagnosed as diabetic. Um, but, you know, they're making a lot of noise while I'm trying to record this and coming in my room while I'm trying to sleep. You know, they got like those little baby superpowered immune systems. Yeah. we And Amos, we like looking back on it, like we think maybe he was patient zero. <laughs> you know, it's so hard. But it's impossible to trace it right now, again, because it's everywhere. Yeah, I feel like every text message I get right now sounds like we're living in the bubonic plague times. Like, yeah. even people who don't have COVID, I just get all these messages about how sick everybody is from just a huge variety of things. Yeah, there's a stomach virus going around, which I really don't want, <laughs> especially for Felix. But And it's like I'm trying to silver lining myself like, well— it sucks, but now we're probably covered through the summer. I don't have to worry about camps getting canceled or travel. Although I did plan our European vacation to end in Paris so that if I have a positive test, I get stuck in Paris. <laughs> I'll be like licking doorknobs. I'm just kidding. But it's, I do not, I feel very, very bad. I feel very bad. Well, let's let you get out of here then. There's thank no you. reason for you to be in front of a microphone feeling very, very bad. But thank you for jumping on to record with me yeah. uh, today. And, and thanks for taking the news brief. I appreciate it. Anytime I vividly remember how much COVID sucks and I was the only one in my house who had it. I'm the weak link immune system here in the Silvers household. If there's a thing that one of us is going to get, it's going to be me. Bless. And everybody else is going to make fun of me about it and uh, continue living their best life, which is how I prefer it because yeah. caring for other people when you feel terrible is the worst so yeah i'm glad nicholas stayed home and at least it started to feel better so he can be the adult on call because if we both felt like i feel right now that would be really brutal yeah brutal so lots of love to you guys lots of love to Thank all you. of you out here who are living this misery uh right alongside sarah lots of love to all of the communities who are facing much harder things than a little bit of sickness mm. and we uh, will be back here with you on friday hopefully back to a more regular schedule everybody have the best monday available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. 
Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Hattons! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.